Christmas balls, Christmas balls. I've got great big Christmas balls. Paint them up like Santa Claus. I've got Christmas balls. Every year at Christmas time, I pull out my balls. And I string them up real nice and tight and drag them down the hall. They look so fine hanging there on my Christmas tree. That people come from miles around just so they can see my Christmas balls, Christmas balls. I've got great big Christmas balls, paint them up like Santa Claus. I've got Christmas balls. Hello, friends. I'd like to thank our executive producers for making this Christmas special spectacular possible. We got the real T.D. McCoy and Lady Patty Nelson. Thank you very much for gathering with me today. It means a lot to me, and it means a lot to our guest. Um, this is a special time of year for you. It's a special time of year for me. You know, my wife and I, we got married this time of year, and I'll never forget it. You know, it's been many years now, over 20, and 
we have we have a actually to tell you how long we've been married. We it's actually a VHS tape of us getting married. So if that lets you know, you know I'll never forget it, and I've never looked at that VHS tape. I still have a VCR, by the way. I still watch The Grinch on VHS tape, but I'll never look at that that tape again because something happened during our wedding kind of grosses me out a little bit. So I was sitting there and this was way before the wedding. Um, so we, we weren't, you know, behind the scenes. It was a few hours before the wedding and we went back and, but I was there and I was sitting in a, in a chair and my wife's great grandmother who is still living at the time was there. Her name was, uh, Nana Gigi is what they called her. Nana Gigi or Nana G is what they called her. She came up behind me and uh, she wanted a hug. And I, I started to get up. And she's like, no, don't worry, don't get up. She's really a tiny, short woman. And I'm like, okay. So she comes back around like on my shoulder, you know, right on my shoulder, which is where she, she was probably, she was still shorter than me with me sitting down to give you an idea. So I turned my head. And as soon as I did, she grabbed me by both cheeks and she pressed her mouth really close to mine just like this and her tongue came out like oh she gave me the tongue and then right when she did that her dentures fell off into my mouth with her gum it was spearmint I'm your host, Jerry Adams. You are watching and listening to Midnight Radio. This is our Christmas Spectacular. You know, the funny part of that story is, for some reason, ever since that happened, Taste of Spearmint kind of turns me on. I think Ashley Banfield chews Spearmint gum. I'd like to thank you all for tuning in. We have our guest, TJ Kinderfeller, today, and he's going to tell us He's going to tell us about Christmas in the federal penitentiary. He's also going to tell us some of his worst, damnedest nightmares and his insights. Thank you for tuning in. If any of you would like to become an executive producer, you can do that by donating anything over $20 on the cash app or um, super sticker or to give thanks. And uh, that helps us keep this show on the air. Thank you all for being here. TJ, are you there? JT, why I'm do I here? keep calling you TJ? I don't even know a TJ. I don't know. Good Lord. I tell you, I'm getting old. No, I'm probably thinking about that grandma gift. Oh, wow. I got me messed up. <laughs> this is a delicate time for me this time of year. Oh, man. Sounds like it. Jeez. Oh, Lordy. Did anything like that happen to you? In prison? No. Anything worse? No. Oh, <laughs> yeah, probably. I don't know. <laughs> Not like that, though. <laughs> Thank God. Other people have <laughs> dreams of sugar plums in their heads. I lay down and have a nightmare. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh funny. Things are going better for me, though. Things are really going good for me now. <laughs> Not so much in the past. You know, this, this radio thing seems to be working out for me. These people listening, they really dig it. They're giving us yeah. support, and I appreciate it. You know, I've done things in the past that haven't worked out. 
One of them was something called Jerry's Berries. For some for some reason on the internet, nobody wanted to buy Jerry's Berries. I have no idea why. <laughs> I sold it to some lady named Sherry, and then she became a millionaire. <laughs> I can't get any luck, man. And that was around Aww. this time of year, too. Then you've got my kind of look. Well, th then I had this one idea, you know. I, I work on electronics. I had this idea, and I thought it would have been a great idea for a home vasectomy kit. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you'd buy it at the store. It would come with a coupon for a fifth of Jack Daniels, and you'd strap this thing on. You know, you would push the button, and it would just, you know, go, like, in and out, kind of like, like it was testing your blood sugar or something. Hey, you get that out there, they might start mandating that. Hey, that's a good idea. <laughs> of course, then there was my idea of a time machine, but I couldn't find anybody to volunteer to try it out on. I do it, I do it myself, but I'm the one that has to turn it on, so that wouldn't work. Oh, oh. Maybe we can get a volunteer here tonight in the chat room. So basically the way that works is uh, it's like a jock strap that has a bunch of you know foam in it, like sponge, and it, it's tied to some electrodes, and you push the button in it, you know, it charges you with about a thousand volts right into your man pebbles. And I guarantee you, when you wake up, you'll be in the future. You'll be in the future. <laughs> just think about it. That'll work. Yeah, just think sure. about it. We could broadcast it internationally like this show and everybody could see you going to the future. <laughs> no, I'm not going to try it out. Sure. There's got to be somebody out there in the chat room, but none of that stuff ever worked. And that's fine. I don't even want to tell you about the in internal pulpery idea I had, but. But this show's working out, and I appreciate everybody watching. Thank you all in the chat room. Great show. So I'd like to I'd like to start out with asking you, what's Christmas like? Uh, actually, let's start at the beginning. What was your first Christmas like? And after that, what were Christmases like in confinement? Okay. Um, well, the the first year is just awful. So the first year is like, I don't, I don't know how long you have to be sentenced to, but uh, the colonel said it best. He said, "Ah, the first year was the longest year." He said it was longer than all the rest, and he had been in there for forty years when I talked to him. So <clears throat> it drags. It's really, uh, it's really an intense time, and I can't really impress upon people how how different time changes for you in there. Um, speaking of time machines, so. What happens is, is you get in there and you've got a long prison sentence to do. And by long, I mean pretty much anything over five years is pretty long. And uh, and believe me, that's not given enough emphasis to it. A lot, there's lots and lots, tons and tons of people going in with 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 year sentences. So it's really intense. Um, so what you do is uh, you get in there and if you celebrate holidays or anything like that, uh, you never think about it out here, but really those are markers. Uh, they kind of slow time down for you and they give you a, a set reference point. And so that allows your memory to, to really log that in as a point in time. And, uh, and that slows down your perception of time incredibly. So for anybody in there doing more than, more than five years, you don't want to celebrate any kind of holidays. <laughs> so, matter of fact, you don't even want to hear about. So, that makes sense once you think about it. But 
I know you do keep keep track of how many years you've done. So what is the marker that you allow yourself to have for that? Okay, so what you do is is you try to push it out of your mind because it's trying to get grilled into you all the time. And so you're trying to avoid that. And so you're trying to get into things that are like long period things, um, like people that would watch television. They do their time on the television. So they wouldn't get into like little um, episodal shows like uh, the Grammys and stuff like that. They're not going to watch stuff like that. They're going to watch stuff that comes on once a week and, you know, law and order cops, stuff that stuff that's always going for years and years and years. And um, well, like I say, you just you want to you want to do a routine. And so your root, and when I say a routine, I mean a routine. Like you want to get up at exactly the same time every morning, and you want to dress exactly the same as you did the day before, and uh, then at exactly the same time go down and brush your teeth at exactly the same time, uh, head back out, put your workout clothes on, or whatever you're going to do. You're going to go to breakfast. Uh, go to breakfast. And uh, as soon as you get out of there, you know, and you plot your day out like that, and then you do the same exact day every single day. And that really allows the mind to forget day to day. And except for marker points, which which I'll tell you about some. <laughs> yeah, what's a marker and, uh, point? So, so you got different marker points and anything like traumatic that you would think of out here is like, oh, my God, that's horrible to see. Um, you know, people ask me when I got out, friends and family, you know, oh, well, what was the worst stuff? You know, what, did you have to see some terrible things? And yeah, but it's not like you would think it is. So it's a, almost like a, almost like a, an escape, really. Uh, oh, there's something happening. Oh, that's, that's awesome. You know, it kind of stimulates your mind. Oh, and yeah, it would. Yeah. Other than because I heard, I heard a lot of people when they first get there, all they talk about is what's the all they talk about is the food. Okay, so yeah, yeah, the, you know, and it, it's just a there's a number of things, a lot of uh, big mistakes that people make when they get in there. Uh, they get in and they start talking about their family and their their wife, especially, or, mm -hmm. you know, in the women's prisons, they talk about their husbands and stuff, you know, and that's a that's just a a new boot thing you're going to do and and that wears off about the time they leave you for someone else and which is 99.9999 times percent of the time so but um what they say in there is what everybody trying to help you says when you first get in there is you got to get the world out of it. you got to get the world out of it. stop thinking about the world and what they're talking about is everything related to you, the life that you had before you went into prison. And I know that sounds terrible, but, um, but it's really traumatic to, to be stuck and confined and not to be able to, uh, help. Even if you weren't really much of a help to your family, boy, when you're confined, you really start to see that and it, it compounds on you and compounds. Well, you can't really help with any of the problems that are going on outside. And so by you worrying about them really doesn't help you at all and slows your time down immensely and uh, really takes you to a place that you don't want to be in. 
As far as your family's concerned, I mean, you can still talk to them, but in a way it's like you're a ghost or like you're dead to them while you're in this other. That's exactly what it was like for me. It was exactly like what I imagined being dead, you know, and in a cemetery and family coming to visit you in a cemetery and, oh, I'm going to go and visit my family for a little bit. You know, you, you get to where, after years of it, you get to where you dread it, really, to tell you the truth. And I mean, for your children, you're still, it's not a dread. It's a wonderful to see them and stuff, but you know what's going to happen and you're going to have days of recovery afterwards where you're trying to get back into your mindset so you can finish out whatever, whatever time you're doing. Because as soon as your mind goes to out here, especially with your children, I mean, that's, that's the worst thing about it. It, it, there's absolutely no doubt the worst thing about prison is is the uh confinement the being separated from your family and uh so in a way being visited makes it your time harder to do and makes it last longer it's just like being like you can imagine being a ghost someone's coming and they're telling you about their things and every time you see them they look different you look the same um and and your children are getting older and but I mean, to you, you're not, you know, you're looking at yourself in a piece of tin. It's so did they even have different food during the holidays there during Christmas? Okay. So yeah, they did. And that was specific for different, um, religions. So, um, uh, well, uh, Jews, for example, had a certain, um, diet plan and, um, uh, Muslims definitely had a certain diet plan that they could adhere to, and they had different holiday meals that they gave to them. And uh, I even know a group of boys that started in the Satru Kindred, and which is like a Northern European uh, old religion, like Odin, Thor, and all that, uh, just so that they could get their holiday meal. And uh, I mean, that was literally the reason why they started the whole thing and did it. And uh, and so they, they would do a holiday meal like that, and and that was a, a definite uh, benefit to those organizations. But that was pretty much it. Uh, as far as as far as the regular general population meal plan goes, now it's it's all just it's all set up by the nutritionist, and it's the same. It's all the time the same. Could you tell me what it was like when they changed the funding for the food? Yes. So when I first went in, the food was really not bad at all. As a matter of fact, uh, there was uh, breakfast bars, uh, salad bars. There was, uh, you know, you're going to get plenty of eggs, uh, fresh cooked eggs, uh, you're going to get uh, uh, usually sausage or bacon, um, you know, biscuits, gravy, whole nine yards. Like I say, there's a breakfast bar. There was a salad bar for the rest of the day put out and stuff like that. And so really, I was really impressed when I was first locked up on how well you could eat in there. Of course, that lasted about a year. And then they withdrew funding. The, on the federal level, the what, Bureau of Prisons withdrew funding. What year was that? I believe it was 2000 and 
2003 or 2004. Okay. When they did it. Somebody is asking that in the chat room. So it's pre Obama. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when they did it, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was pre Obama, the pre Obama years. Uh, but yeah, when they did it, uh, it, it really changed completely. So it went from being really nice like that in comparison to like state prisons and stuff. It was fantastic to, uh, to all of a sudden being worse than state prisons as far as the food that we got. So I would work in the kitchen sometimes when I would be bored with, uh, fitting pipe and welding pipe and stuff. I'd get tired of working on those boilers and I'd get me a job in the kitchen and work in there so that I could eat eggs and, whatnot because as soon as the funding was withdrawn they stopped serving fresh eggs although they still received fresh eggs they uh served powdered eggs and they uh took the breakfast bar out of course and uh the meats were all of a sudden awful so this isn't an exaggeration or anything like that i know it's hard to believe for people but uh, the boxes of meats that we received all of a sudden were coming from the uh, food bank and they were they were done with them and so uh, the year I graduated high school was 93 and these were marked um, some of them were marked Fort Worth Zoo um, when I was over there in Siegelville and uh, the food bank ones were marked like 1992, 1993, 1994. And so, wow. you know, 10, 10 years after they'd gone to the food bank. And so now that's, that's the meats that they had. And it was, it was a uh, terrible on the system. It was horrible. To, to so you guys food. had food, not fit for human consumption. Most definitely. I mean, marked on the box, not fit for human consumption for Ord zoo. Fort Worth is so wow. Yeah, yeah. It's a hell of a yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, we looked out one time, and uh, one of the guys that was running the kitchen, uh, who's a good guy, who's from Hawaii, and uh, he was a guard, you know, or whatever, but he was the kitchen boss, and he uh, he had a buddy that uh, worked with the uh, police up there, and they had had a uh, Arby's truck turnover, and all of this beef was scattered across the highway and stuff. And he talked them into just donating all of it straight over to us. I mean, it was right across from the prison. So, uh, they did, they donated it all to us. And so we did have Arby's beef there for a while. And that was oh. probably glad to have it. Oh, real glad to have it. It was wonderful. Which Arby's <laughs> beef is not really roast beef either. No, no, it's like, it was wonderful. (laughs) It's like spam. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's like a beef spam. It's something when you get a bunch of Arby's every single day and you're just happy that you did, but you know, it beat having like, like, uh, for example, when it changed, like we would have chicken on Monday and, uh, baked chicken and that was awesome. And then on uh Tuesday we'd have chicken soup. Uh, bone-in chicken soup and then on Wednesday we would also have chicken soup and um, we would also have a side of a little something I can't really remember exactly how it went 
but but it was like that. I mean, there was chicken every single day after Monday until Sunday when it started over. I'm so, sure that after you got out, the food in there is probably the last thing you've been thinking about. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that was that was one of the big things. What was that you one know? story you were telling me about the guy that got the head injury and and what what he got injured why they injured him and what happened next? Could you tell me that story? You bet. Oh, so yeah. uh, so when I first got put into the prison um i was in a day room and uh there was a guy sleeping next to me i'm calling joe and uh joe was uh so the way that it's set up in there it's uh like double bunks and uh i was up on the top bunk uh on the far wall and joe's bunk was next to mine on the top and uh so Joe had, uh, he had worked for a, uh, at that time, the, the illegals were still in just various federal prisons. And so, um, by illegals, I mean illegal immigrants and, uh, they were just jammed up with everybody else. And so they had huge gangs of these guys. And, uh, so Joe had been selling pot that he was getting from these guys and uh, he got found out that he was selling some on the side without their without giving them their little cut out of it and I, I, we're not talking about much pot here these are like these are like little corners of envelopes for 20 bucks you know and i mean it's like a tiny tiny amount maybe a quarter gram or half a gram of pot you know and uh so he uh gets found out that he's not doing them right of course i don't know any of this at the time i'm just laying there in bed it's seven o'clock in the morning or 6 45 they open the compound at 6 30 and at about 6 45 um i don't i don't really hear commotion but i wake up and look down at my feet and uh see these guys coming into the room and there's about five of them and they've all got their toboggans pulled down over their face with eye holes cut out and they've got their uh, prison khakis the names ripped off of them and they've got their prison khakis on their boots on and uh, they've all got socks in their hand and what they'd done was they'd broken off um concrete off of the sidewalk into chunks and filled them into socks double socked and tied knots on the end of the socks and that's what they were holding on to and they used them for maces anyway they filed in there real quick and stood on both sides of the bed were you in there when that happened he was your roommate yes wow yeah so so there's 20 of us in there but like I say, it was about 15 minutes after the compound opened. So most everybody cleared out of the room, but I was laying in there late and, uh, and Joe was laying there and, uh, and a friend of mine, uh, was laying on the other side of him. And so as soon as they come in and we're standing there, I was, when they filed in, I didn't have no idea what was going on. So I'm, you know, climbing kind of back in my bunk getting ready to fight i guess you know just 
just going to defend myself best I can. And they just kind of go beside me like I'm not even there. And then I can see, oh, no, they're focused on this guy. And and then they just waylay on him with these socks, with these rocks, and you know. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, stand on both sides of the bed and are pounding on him like a, a train workers, you know, is what oh, I yeah. thought of. It looked like those guys driving spikes on a, on a railway. But anyway, they just beat on him and beat on him and beat on him. And, uh, I mean, he was out after the first one hit him in the head, you know, and, uh, it didn't matter. They just kept on beating and kept on beating. And I mean, it was, it was pretty intense. You could, you could hear the bones breaking and, you know, blood splattering everywhere all over me and all over the beds. And, uh, then when they get done, I guess when they get kind of tired of swinging on him, they, uh, pick him up. And kind of all together, like, shuffle him off the end of the bed, slam him down on his head, and then they went right back to beating on him. And they beat on him until uh, there was gray matter mixed in with blood coming wow. right out of his head. His face was completely distorted. Uh, I mean, they, I thought for sure he was dead. There's, I, there's no way I thought that he could live through that i mean i thought he was dead when they hauled him out but he ended up surviving and uh so after that happens they had no idea who did it i mean these guys as soon as as soon as they get done they file out of there and uh, it's not anything like people imagine this was a, a low security prison at the time and so it's uh, on a second floor where there's no guard shack, there's no guard, guards in the bottom. There's only one for about, let's see, at that time, it was only about 200 men, but it was about 800 men later on. Um, but anyway, the, there was nobody around to do anything, you know. I mean, they, they come in, they did what they had to do. They walked down to the bathroom, they peeled their clothes off, threw them in the trash can, cover it with baby oil, light it on fire, walk out of the building. And, uh, of course, I guess they had to change the clothes and they just blended in with the rest of the crowd, walked out and they're gone. So, so there was, there was no recourse to that. Um, uh, but then later in 2005, they, uh, shipped, I, th I believe it was 2005 and I might be wrong on some of these years. Like I say, it all blends together. But they shipped all of the illegals to INS centers, and it really it changed the whole the whole mood of the the compound and population in general. But when they added, when so, they when you're telling me when they start over, what do you call it? Overstuffing inmates in there, overpopulating. Yeah, I mean they it was already it was already tight like i say when i first got there it was like 600 men and then inside of a month went to 2000 you know and then another month after that it was like 2300 and then it, it just kept on adding like that for the remaining years i was there four years i was there so but yeah it uh but like i say when the illegal aliens were mixed in with the uh general population 
at all of the prisons and stuff. It was a much rougher place. It was it was a whole kind of different different mindset, especially especially you had to really watch, you know, where you were you were headed. It segregated up pretty good, but you had to stay away from those those areas because there was a different mentality among them than there was amongst the rest of the federal population who are mostly just people in there for money crimes. So, so what happened to the guy that uh, got beat down and left? Did he eventually? Yeah. So, so they hauled him out. And as far as we knew, as far as any of the guards that we knew, you know, they, we all thought he was dead. I mean, for sure. And uh, so years passed, say, I'm going to say about three years passed. And I'm out on the rec yard and I was actually, I was lifting weights out on the rec yard and a buddy of mine comes up and is like, Hey, it's like, they just let Joe out. They let him out on the compound. I was like, what? Joe's alive. And he's like, yeah, yeah. He, he ain't right, but he's alive. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, so I look up and sure enough, here comes Joe just walking. But I mean, you can just tell from a distance that he's messed up pretty bad. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's pretty much ruined. And, uh, anyways, go straight out to the rake yard. So, uh, wasn't able to use his head very well. So anyway, he, he doesn't get very far across the rake yard. And I mean, the hope, the whole compound out there just goes quiet whenever that happens you know that something something bad is going on and and something was sure enough they were digging up their uh knives long knives they call bone crushers off of the uh wreck yard and about uh about five men uh had them and took off after him well he snapped two that they were after him and uh, ran best he could up to the fence when he gets to the fence the guard shuts the fence uh, you know not not after he goes through the fence before he comes through the fence the guard shuts the fence wow. throws the lock on it and backs up away from it and these guys catch him at the fence and and they just run those blades through him and he didn't make it I mean that was they just killed him selling. right there in front of us selling. and so that was yeah, as, as a matter of fact, he had already, you know, pretty much been paid for that. But since, uh, you know, I don't know what the what the mentality was behind it. A, a lot of them, especially where the gangs are concerned, they 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 make crazy decisions that are. I, I don't know what the set of rules must be on that. That's foreign to me. Is all I could say, and it was a terrible thing to see and. You know, I felt like, you know, for for a little $20 sacks of pot, I felt like he probably paid the price and then some the first time, but I guess that wasn't enough, and they uh, they killed him. And the weird thing was that these guys weren't even in the same games. They were in, they were in different games. They were, uh, the guys that killed him were in one gang that's supposed to be a U.S.-based uh, Hispanic gang and the guys that had beat him were not, they were all illegal. So go figure on that. But it was, a that was definitely a, a marker. That was a, 
and it was right when I got in, so it certainly didn't help my time any, but at the same time it did. It was I was able to get a real good first impression and a lot of people miss that. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't get that hands-on, get to see it right in front of their face. Oh, this is how things are handled in here. And that is how things are handled in there. And it's not you're worried about the guards. Unmerciful. The guards are, no mercy. The guards are, yes, the guards are not running those federal prisons for sure at all. And they're told that they're not. And there's, they're not even allowed to touch the inmates the, for good reason. I mean, they'll just get tore out of the frame if they did. Oh, yeah. And uh, the um, – Still there? Yeah. Okay. And uh, – but the worst that, – that, that's probably to be right there when I first got there and then to start off like that. That was probably uh, one of the worst things I, I saw the entire time I was in there as far as witnessing it and seeing it. It was brutal. And you saw the ending of that later. And saw the ending, which was uh, even more brutal, more definite. When we get to this, when we get to the end of the of our conversation here, I want to know what you think can be done to uh, revamp the system. I'm going to talk about that at the end. If if I forget, okay. remind me. But okay. there's also a story you told me about about three fellas that were having a dice game and they got an idea of something they could do with the dice. <laughs> That's a good Christmas story. Okay. So this is a, uh, <laughs> a good Christmas story. Okay. Oh, yeah. So this is a kind of a, this kind of shows the different mentalities that happen. Now this comes from a uh, state penitentiaries is where the, evidently the ideas come from on this. But these guys, what they did was there was a, God, I think there was three of them. Maybe there was four. But they, uh, wow, they were young. And they were, uh, I'm going to say between 19 and 22, um, they had heard this, you know, idea that they could cut lacerations on their penis and put, uh, these uh, balls inside them and they would sh what they would do is they'd take these uh, dominoes and they would shave them down so that they could make a I guess surgically viable device to put in there and then they would make little bumps on their penis for uh, I guess <laughs> I guess uh, sexual enhancement of some sort and uh so that's what they did they they and it's even it's even worse than that they like tourniquet to do that they'd have to tourniquet it off and swell it up tight and slap it split the skin and then they insert the to themselves <laughs> yeah yeah amongst themselves and they they all got together and did some fair amount of drinking, I imagine, and they uh, they got her done. I mean, they, they put these little balls that they had made into their penises, and, uh, boy, they were really, really proud of them because, like, I mean, they had 
showed them off and told plenty of people that all of us knew about it, you know, we're like, yeah. <laughs> so what kind of gratification Woo! were there? Were they expecting to get in the pen or were they saving it for when they got out for somebody they loved? You know, I'm, I'm doubting that they were saving that. I, I I'm just, I'm not sure. I, I, I've thought on that. I mean, pretty much on anything like that or related to anybody doing stuff like I, I can't even imagine what it's like to even think about sexuality while you're in there, but some people did, you know, and I just pretty much, uh, kind of, you can imagine just kind of covering your eye and walking, <laughs> humming and covering your ears and your eyes and walking uh, away. Not, not seeing that don't care about that, but yeah. And, and three or four so, people, that's, that's a lot of dumb in one area. Yeah. You know a lot mean? of, they hey, didn't there's have, a, not one there's of them. a ton of, there's a ton of dumb in one area in there. And, uh, this is, um, these are going to be drug, drug criminals. Like, like almost everyone without fail that's in there for drugs. Smoking uh, that ooey. Is like usually not, not your smartest of fellows would be an understatement. So, so they did these complicated surgeries for themselves. They might not even have put it in the right area. Definitely. They, they, and took, so, they took dice and they ground it down until it was a round ball on the concrete. On the concrete, yes. And then they inserted it into the skin of their members. So yes. how did that work for them? So they each one of them put several of the little uh, die pieces in there. And so about, oh, maybe a week into it, uh, they began getting infected. And I guess they were embarrassed to say anything about it or whatever. So they, they got didn't in trouble, say, wouldn't they have? Most definitely. Uh, I can't remember the term for it, but it's a crime to do anything like that in there, like your property of the U.S. government. So and the government to, doesn't want you hurting their any tattoos. Yeah, exactly. Don't, don't you hurt our government fetuses but yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah government issued penises <laughs> oh lordy but they uh but it really is a it really is a crime and so they i mean even tattoos are but i mean that's that's pretty much overlooked but um the uh but anyway this deal they they all got infected and um every one of them and every one of them was scared to say anything finally one of them breaks and runs down there you know it's sharp enough to He's like, oh, I've got to go to the infirmary about this and goes to the infirmary and okay, uh, sure. Before I forget, so we're at the part where they, one of them, it got so sick, they're so bad, they're, they have high fevers, they're about to die, then they decide to go to the infirmary. Just out of curiosity, did one of these guys try to surgically help himself or help his friend? <laughs> you mean to remedy him? Yeah, did like one of the guys come up to you and they said, uh, hey, kinder feller, hey, could you help? help me with this why sure here here's a door put it right here yeah no Boom. no I, I did do a lot of surgeries but that's kind of another story but oh, we'll yeah, go into no, that next not on not on penises though oh, that's good <laughs> so you do there are limits to your surgical skills there are limits to my surgical uh yeah skills i guess you would say they didn't have enough cigarettes motivation to pay for that. there's not enough cigarettes to pay for that i'll tell you what so, but I, we're right at where uh, they go to the infirmary. So yeah, he goes to the infirmary and they send him 
to the hospital immediately and uh they go and find the other guys and i mean by this time you know everybody's kind of finding out about these fellas and so they go and pick them up take them out they all go out to the hospital and they come back months later and it's it's horrible it's a i mean it's scary as it gets so but they um remove their penises to remedy the situation wow um one of them was left with an inch of penis they were able to reattach the end just the tips just the tips and that was it just just one nothing but the tip and the the other ones were that's not enough to were nothing none at all so manginas they definitely did they were definitely squatting so yeah it's horrible now that that was a horror story luckily it's not one i had to see but it was definitely one i kind of saw the effects of so what happens when you come back without without a penis in a federal prison (laughs) so um well other than the jokes never end yeah yeah you know i don't even think these guys got any jokes i think pretty much everybody was just felt so sorry for them that it was like oh you know it was a sacred subject that's horrible (laughs) oh but then they had something that they wanted right yeah well or a place i mean i mean yeah that's that was gonna eventually be those guys problem but oh lordy not right away you know i I don't know it's just horrible i i I took it to be oh well if you were getting those put in there you were probably into that sort of thing anyway I, i used to do minor surgeries on people when i was in the military yeah and uh one of the things the doctors would have us do is vasectomies. Yeah. And it's quite involved in the level of sterilization you have to do is it's, it's a process and it's, there's a lot of learning before you ever work on somebody. Now, thankfully I got out of ever having to do a vasectomy, you know, cause I never wanted to do that. And I got out of it. I had yeah. the guy that was under me, you know, I had him do it, but, uh, just, I can't imagine if you had the best of equipment there in a prison, there would be no way to to do that for it to work. So it's just that's just incredible. And that's just talking about what they did to their members here. But moving on from that, talking about surgeries, you were telling me something about surgeries that you actually helped perform in in the prison. Could you tell us about that and why were there so many of them and, and exactly what did all that entail? Yeah, so I, I did a number of surgeries. As a matter of fact, I, I got pretty good at, at my surgical skills. Um, there were uh, quite a few doctors in there. Um, they wouldn't do anything, I, I mean, as inmates. Um, the, uh, the, the so-called doctor that was at the prison was a corpsman. It wasn't a, oh, yeah. it wasn't a doctor at all, you know, but they called him a doctor. But anyway... They wouldn't help people. I mean, so I did a number of uh, sebaceous cysts and lipomas and stuff like that. But uh, one of the most interesting things I had to do was uh, I removed MRSA bulls oh. from guys. 
Tell yeah, us what it was that terrible. is. Terrible. And so, uh, methicillin-resistant staph infections are like incredible staph infections. Those are ones and you they, often get from the hospital, but I guess you'd get it in any institution. Sure. And, and they and run the, rampant in those. They run rampant in the in the pen there. Uh huh. And so the oh, Jesus. the remedy for those is a concoction. It's it's three different antibiotics that a person has to be given. And one of them is uh, shot into the nasal passages. And, of course, they wouldn't give out those antibiotics. They would do the bare minimum. And so they would just give one type of antibiotic. And uh, the infection had to be severe for them to even give them that. And, uh, I mean, most of the time what they're going to prescribe is 800 milligram Motrin no matter what. And uh, But they did prescribe one antibiotic which was worse than not giving them anything really because it would just make the stronger versions of the mrsa but we had figured out pretty early on that um that i seem to be immune to the mrsa wow uh, That's a tuberculosis blessing. as well it was it was pretty incredible the tuberculosis in there and um i mean but anyway, uh, and this is in yeah, the 20th so, century, guys. We're not talking about the 1800s, which a lot of the sounds no, no. like really. Yeah, 21st. Yeah, yeah. This is this is definitely not really that long. It doesn't seem like very long ago at all to me. Um, but they they're not. You don't want to get sick. You don't want to be in bad health and go to the prison. That's just all there is to it. It's it's not going to be a place that you're going to get better. I mean, very few do. Um, but so, so anyways, like I say, there were several doctors there. I was friends with several of them. One of them was the chair of the West Virginia medical board. Um, uh, one of them was a well-renowned surgeon from Louisiana and, uh, I called both of them doc, you know? And so doc one was like, Hey, you know, I was, asking him to cut these bulls out of a buddy of mine uh, who's passed away. But um, <clears throat> he, uh, he had them terrible, like, like awful, these big old nasty bulls on him. And, oh, man, I, was, I just felt for him, you know, and I, I knew he was a tough guy. But, Did they hurt? But he was breaking down crying from yeah, the pain. Yeah. That yeah. sounds like a dumb question, but I'm yeah, trying to think of Yeah, running fever and just hurting. Oh, Lordy. Couldn't couldn't stand to put a shirt on you know i heard this i don't know if it's true or not but i heard methamphetamine really makes you susceptible to MRSA. is that true uh, it could be it could be now a lot of these guys have methamphetamine problems okay. so it could be um <clears throat> i know methamphetamine pretty much breaks down everything in the body if you do it long enough so that would make sense definitely makes you gives you a weaker immune system um, but yeah, they, uh, I don't know if weaker is the right word, but makes you more susceptible to things. That's a good mm -hmm. way to put it. Uh, the, uh, so the surgeries that I did on these guys were, um, assisted by, uh, an actual surgeon and they would just stand outside the room, you know, and showed me how to do it. And, uh, I had to get, uh, air conditioner hose from, which was quarter inch air conditioning tubing, uh, plastic tubing, you know, and I would cut that and 
I got iodine from a buddy of mine that worked in the infirmary and used iodine and used the air conditioning tubing, used uh, dental floss for a uh, suture. And uh, I would cut these, these are massive bulls, the size of your hand, you know, and I would cut these, the dead flesh out of them. There's a core inside of it you have to remove and then you have to scrape all of the dead flesh from inside of it out. And then you've got to uh, wash all of that fluid out with uh, iodine. And then you've got to put a drain tube in there. And then you've got to sew that bad boy up so that it can remain, so that it can keep draining off. And was quite successful as far as removing them goes. Up. So what kind of drain did you use in the military or in the medical profession? We'd use something called a Penrose drain. A Penrose drain. So, yeah. You can and make so what you're did you have access to that, or I guess you could make one out of the finger of a latex glove or something? Uh, like I say, it was quarter-inch air conditioning tubing. Holy what I used. Moses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I cut that with uh, you know, a razor that was pulled out of a shaving razor, and that was what I did my surgeries with, was razors that wow. were pulled out of razors. How did you sterilize them? With the iodine and okay. the heat. And I, I had access to... I had access to fire. I mean, you, you can uh, even even after they uh, went away from having uh, cigarettes, supposedly, you know, they made them illegal, which just made them more expensive. But uh, there, you still have access to matches and stuff like that. So we had fire. Okay. I, uh, and so I was the able matches. To, this is off topic, but the matches you guys normally use were the paper ones, right? Uh, yeah, like the yeah, the little the little matchbooks. Yeah, yeah. You, you could take it and split it and turn one into two. Most definitely. Heck yeah, yeah. survival. Yeah, skills. And it, yeah, and we learned a bunch of them. You know, I mean, there, you can if you've got a light socket anywhere, it's a that's a that's a lighter waiting to happen. You just you just need to scrape the full off the inside of a chips bag or anything like that a little thin pole and you can short the circuit with two razor blades by putting two razor blades in each side and then you put the little piece of pole in between them and it lights up enough to light your cigarette and Heck yeah. you can start a fire off of that but that was that was how I sterilized those and uh yeah, so it, it was intense. It would get really intense. Like I removed the most I removed was off of the buddy I was talking about, and I took thirty of them off of his back. And he's a big fella, but um, thirty of them at one time off of his back. I didn't think he'd live through it. Wow. It was horrible. It was, it was like dead flesh. Is is exactly what it would the smell crack. like. You know, it was terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was the surgeries that i did uh uh like i say did lots of sebaceous cysts on people's heads they get those sebaceous cysts and lipomas and they would just be terrible you know really big uh bumps on them and they'd look like kind of like monsters you know and cutting those out kind of the same you have to Cut those out. And so to scrape it off. And, to clear this up in my head, you you did have doctors who were incarcerated there, who yes, they had you do it because you were immune to MRSA. 
Yes, I was immune to MRSA, and also they had me do it because they uh, they just wouldn't do it. They they're not they're not banned from being doctors anymore. Their license is removed, and then while they're on supervision, they can't get their license. But when they're off of supervision, they can get their license right back. You know, they're already doctors and surgeons and whatnot, so they can. In most cases, they can get their license right back as soon as they're off of supervision. Okay, so yeah, they would be putting their license at jeopardy if something happened to the to the patient there. Exactly, by getting involved at all in any. But other. you never got in trouble for doing any of these operations there. No, the the guards there were just like you know, the, just glad that we would some kind of. Mercy. I mean, they, these guys these guys are regular guys. You know, the the guards there are guys that are getting out of the military. They, they can't find a job anywhere. They say, oh, here's a job for $70,000 a year to set up here for four days a week. You know, I'm definitely going to do this. And and so they get in there, and they would be just as stunned as, you know, any of us were. Oh, yeah. And sympathetic, really sympathetic. Lots of them were extremely sympathetic to, to what was going on and just an obviousness of uh, – injustice you know that that i've talked about before i don't even know if injustice is a word it's more like inhumanity i don't think the general public has any idea what really goes on there Uh, i don't think they i i don't think that they think it through you know it's hard to think on this stuff you see a tv show or something like that and you think that um you're getting a view of it but you're not you're getting a god's eye view of of that thing and and what it really is in there is a whole different thing. And when it's you that's on the incarcerated side, I don't care what you did. Um, things need to make sense for a person to get better. And it doesn't make sense to lock a person up and have nothing for them to do except for, you know, like I say, docility. You want them watching TV. You want them going to these uh, – so-called anger management stuff and just junk. I mean, it's just that, that that's not helping men at all. Men need to labor. They need to work and, uh, and can pretty much beat anything by laboring and, and working as far as uh, mental problems go. You know, you need stuff that builds on you. So uh, anything that you want to do on that regards or getting better or rehabilitating or any, any way you want to look at that or word that, you have to do on your own. You're going to do it on your own against the system because the system is trying to get you um, as docile and lethargic as possible, and that'll just compound your problems. I mean, the I think, 89% recidivism rate just tells the tale. On I think you're right about that, but once you got out, did you notice here in the, I guess they call it the free world, that things are designed to make make the citizens more docile too? Most definitely. It's exactly the same thing. And it's what I was talking about when I said, when I got out, what I realized is I'd always been in a prison. And it's because it's this, uh, this system that we're, that we're under that is definitely trying to squish the, the spirit, the soul, the, the drive of men. Drive, yeah. uh, and by men, I mean, men and women. And it's, it's incredible uh, to see it or to intellectualize it is one thing, but to actually 
experience it is a whole other thing. It's a whole other depth to it where so, you are like, Oh no, this really doesn't make any sense at all. What are we doing? So you're, you're saying basically that looking at prison and prison movies and all that on TV is not the way it is at all. It's kind of like somebody watching a captain crunch commercial and thinking that's the way the Navy is. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Captain Kangaroo, oh, I've been to the Navy. You know, yeah. I know exactly what the Navy's like. I've, I've seen Captain Crunch. You know, I mean, it's it's absolutely uh, uh, foreign. It's it's foreign to the normal thinking's mind of, of, of what it is. You know, you think of a, oh, it's a punishment, and the punishment is going in here and the dealing with all these other... The punishment is, yeah, the, the punishment is docility and, and lots of people don't ever catch on to that and they fall into the trap and lots of them lose their mind. I got, a, I got a couple questions from the chat room here for you. One is what about the teeth? How do they take care of your teeth there in prison? And then the second um, question is, and it might go to the first one's asking, is this, are all federal, wait, are all prisons like that? Oh, is every state like that? Every federal prison in every state? Yeah, so it just depends. Um, some federal prisons are, of course, it just a lot of it depends on the administration that's there. And uh, But for the most part, yes, they're pretty much all like that. Like uh, the one that I spent the most time in um, had no air conditioning. Now, that's not like most of them. Um, the hole was a uh, steel um, boxes on top of a building. It, it wasn't a, it, it wasn't like the isolation is in, in most federal prisons In most federal prisons, there's air conditioning throughout and there's uh, their isolation is, uh, you know, in comparison, it's like a motel room, um, but not really, but, in comparison to what it was like in this place. This place was built by German uh, concentration camp uh, inmates mm -hmm. uh, from the 30s in 1938. Uh, we gathered up lots of Germans and put them into concentration camps here, and a lot of people don't know that. And they built this facility and several of them that later became federal prisons. Mm -hmm. Oh, let's see. Somebody's asking what kind of soap you guys had there. What kind of soap? Um, and they're asking—they're asking, really they're asking about the soap. <laughs> they're asking about what kind of like soap to wash yourself you had there, and they're asking, um, "Is it true you don't want to bend over in the shower?" Oh, okay. Yeah, you? yeah. So that all of that has to do with the uh, movies and the uh, stuff that you see on television um rape really doesn't happen uh that way very much i mean occasionally it does among some groups in there that they call uh, discipline and so uh, um, among uh like the illegals and some extreme gangs they have a disciplinary action they call it discipline and they'll discipline a man by raping them which I never, you know, experienced any of that kind of shit. But, um, but people, do, 
people do, but that's very, very few and far between. But what's not few and far between is the actual rape that takes place, which is like a uh, more like what you would consider a date rape. And by that, what I mean is, is the way that that all works in there is there are men doing lots and lots of time. So, of course, there are gay men doing lots and lots of time. Well, none of them act gay. They don't act like out here gay is like TV gay. It's like, you know, a feminine acting man. No, these are men. He's like they, they act like gay. men. And they're, they're, they act like men and they're, they're well built and um, uh, really in shape and uh, super masculine in most ways and fight and all of the things that you think of that a that a, a man with 40 years in a penitentiary would be like but they're they're gay and so just the exact same way that a a man plots on a woman out here or, you know uh, it is exactly the same thing that happens in there and so what they do is, is they'll find people coming in new boots and that don't know the ropes, one that they're attracted to. And then they don't come at them as if they're gay and it's not like the green mile where they're mean and stuff like that. You know, Oh, we're just going to rape you. No, it's not like that. They come at them as their best buddy. They're like, they might help them out. They might jump in. So you got to be careful who you're friends with there. They might jump in and help them in a fight and jump in amongst, uh, you know, a fight of, four or five guys and they get in on it. It's like a booty conspiracy. shit out of a bunch of them. And then this guy immediately thinks that's exactly what it is. And this guy immediately thinks, Oh, well, but the, the mentality, like I say, is, is very different. And, 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 and so it, what I mean by different is, is they're not viewing the man that they're going after as a man. They're viewing it the same way that a man out here under very primitive circumstances would view a woman. And so they're going to do it, go at it in a very sophisticated way to get this guy adapted to being their woman. And so what they do is, is they'll uh, befriend them. Like I say, in some form or fashion, they'll help them out. Um, And this might take years. They might, uh, what's the word for what they do to children? Grooming. Grooming they might groom them for years. And if no one tells him, Hey, this is what's going on. then he's not going to know. He's not going to know that this guy that's being so cool to him. I mean, it's not like, it's not like it's so overt that you notice it. Yeah. No, he's the serial booty groomer. Yeah. Definitely not going to know. You're not told this is sophisticated. This isn't, these aren't, these these aren't like television plots that they put on this is like so that they'll they'll work on one for i've seen them work on one for years actual years you let them do that and then huh you let them do that you didn't warn them let them do that yeah yeah i mean (laughs) (laughs) yeah something to watch i'm not getting them i'm not getting involved in their you know what i mean yeah that's true that's true okay so let me break this down for you real quick because you bring up a good point so politics is all that there is in a prison. Oh, God. And so by politics, what I mean is, is you've got to understand that, um, and it's this way out here, but people aren't realizing it. The rules. But it's, it's really intense when you're confined. But the rule is this. If I am going to get into 
any type of conflict with someone, well, then I'm not just in conflict with them. I'm in conflict with them, and I'm in conflict with everyone that they associate with. And it has to be that way because it is that way. And so at the same time, you know, I may be like, well, this guy fell down and I'm going to help him up. Well, in some circumstances, when they're in a certain spot with someone else, they see you help that guy up. That's enough right there. Now you're in the crosshairs. You, all you did was help the guy up, you know, and dust him off and get him on his way. Now you're in the crosshairs because that guy's like, oh, well, that's one of his associates. And uh, I'm going to take him out first. You see what I mean? Oh, because yeah. because when it comes down to these things, like uh, in a federal pen, it's not as much, oh, uh, there's going to be some fighting. I mean, there is fighting, but the fighting pretty much goes on amongst uh, men that can trust each other, you know. But, but for the most part, like true conflict and uh, stuff like that, that's, that's all going to be death. I mean, it's going to be, there's, there's going to be some, some murdering goes on and that, that's just all there is to it. It's, Sometimes just being a nice guy will get you killed. It most definitely would get you killed. Sometimes you just got to turn and your so, back. And so, like I say, the, these men on these plots, you know, I mean, there were definitely some that I would, that I would real quick, you know, come up to and be like, Hey, uh, <clears throat> you know, that guy, he's your buddy. Uh, and I'd just be like, you know, that he likes men, right? I just, he, he likes men and give them that look, you know, of, Hey, you better pay attention. And then that's all I would say, you know? And, and even when I did that, that was only after I'd been locked up for a long time and pretty much knew all of the ones that were and weren't and, uh, but like I say, that's how they do it. They groom them in and then they'll get them intoxicated. So there's a few rules that you need to know if you're going to get locked up. And here's the real rules to go into prison. Right, if you rules. go to prison, if you go to prison and you want to get out of that and still be the same person that you are, don't drink, don't do drugs and don't gamble. And that's the main things. Don't drink. Don't do drugs. Don't gamble. I don't care if it's football games, if it's card games, if it's uh, betting on the television series or whatever. Just don't do it. Stay clear of drinking, of drugs, and of gambling. And, I mean, that's, that's – you know. And I would say also add to that, I would say stay away from the damn television. And that will eliminate 99% of your problems, at least 95 of them. We, you just barely talked about gambling, but I know that that would take us down a whole nother corridor of hell. Oh prison. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now that's, that's big. That's a big thing. And just because I say not to do something doesn't mean that I didn't do my fair share of it. It's just that, there's a great deal of luck that comes in and uh, circumstance and, and I've experienced lots of it. And I mean, I don't really see it as luck. I just see it as uh, circumstance, but uh, lucky circumstance uh, got me through a lot of the 
stuff that I ended up learning was, oh, yeah, that's not the thing to do. And that's not the way to be. But anyway, back to what I was saying is those guys, they, uh, they'll groom them and then they'll get them drunk. At some point, at some point, they'll get them intoxicated in some way or fashion. And, uh, you know, eventually, say the guy's never been to prison and he's got, you know, 10 years to do off of a little, um, I, I don't know, a fraud case or something like that. And this guy's been really good to him and he, they're sellies now and they've been sellies for years. And so he's like, hey, you know, I'm going to do some drinking. Huh? You want to do some drinking? And the guy be like, yeah, you know, I, I'll do some drinking. I ain't, ain't done any drinking in years. And so they'll go get some alcohol and uh, they'll get to the guy drunk and are intoxicated in some way. And that's how the, that's how the rape happens in the federal pen is they get groomed, they get drunk and they get, I guess you'd, you'd call it rape. It's not, it's not brutal like that. It's, it's a different type of brutality where it changes the person. And that's, well, that's, that. that's good to know that. I mean, it seems like there's some ways to avoid it, you know? There's definitely ways to avoid all of that. There's ways to avoid all of the, um, well, there's ways to avoid most things happening to you. At the same time, you you have to have a, a mentality of no matter what happens to me, I'm getting out of this. I'm going to live through it. And that has to be your base mentality. No matter what happens, I'm fighting. And when it comes down to it, I'm going to fight until I'm, not capable, not, doesn't matter if you're going to win or you're a badass fighter or any of that, but in any situation in there, when it comes down to fighting, you have to fight and you have to fight until you cannot fight anymore. And by that, I mean, you might get knocked out. And as soon as you wake up, if the uh, aggressor is still there, then it's, it's time to fight some more. Mm -hmm. It's time to fight some more until when you wake up, there's no more aggressor there. So, so could you talk with us a little bit more about getting in fights in prison and what, where your limit has to be before you get in a fight? You know, you know what I mean? Like, yes. Yeah. Could you explain that to yes, us? Yes, I think so. So, um, so you don't want to chip on your shoulder for sure. You don't want to, you don't want to be a tough guy. I promise you, no matter what you think. And I saw lots of MMA guys that were, you know, I even saw a pro MMA fighter get, whoa, get tore out of the frame by the little old piteous fella you ever saw. And, uh, and I, actually I saw lots of that and, uh, lots of martial arts guys just get ruined and, uh, lots of ex law enforcement get just ruined in there. And it was mostly all of that had to do with a chip that they carry on their shoulder. They thought they're a tough guy. Mm -hmm. You know, so you don't want to be that, that that's definitely not what you want to be because I promise you, there's not just one, but there's hundreds tougher, meaner, and much better fighters. And, and fighting is different in there than it is out here. It's not a, a fight for, um, it's not a fight for 
right then. It's not a fight for whatever the issue is. It's a fight so that everyone sees what you can, you're capable of or what you're willing to do uh, so know, that you're not having to do that every day. I think a real good example of that is Apple Bottom. Could you tell us Apple Bottom story? <laughs> yeah. Oh. First of I all, who was of, Apple Bottom? I People. got bunches of Apple Bottom stories. Um, Apple Bottom was a kid that was uh, locked up in there, and he had been uh, sent to a state hospital from the Waco compound. Uh, or he got sent to a state hospital, and then. He wound up going to the federal pen. So, uh, so he was a kid in the Waco compound, David Koresh and all that. And they took mm-hmm. the kids from that compound when they were still underage. They put them in, uh, what do you call it? State hospitals. State hospitals, mm-hmm. and then, which would be close to where I know where that is. So then they would take that. And then after that, they would send them to adult prison when these were kids that were minors at the time. Really? Yeah. Yeah, now I'm not sure if the federal prison sentence was um, adjunct to that or in relation to that. I'm not sure exactly. I just know that he went from a state hospital pretty much to right into the federal okay. pen. And what the, and, the chat room's asking why they called him Apple Bottom. <laughs> All right, so they called him Apple Bottom because uh, and an apple shaped bottom, I guess. He was shaped. <laughs> yeah. He was shaped. He was shaped uh, really feminine mm-hmm. from the waist down. Mm-hmm. Um, from the waist up, he just looked like a normal kid, good-looking kid, really. Uh, blonde hair, blue eyes, nice guy, but um, but really gay. And uh, he prostituted for money, and uh, which I guess is why anybody would prostitute. But anyway, um, he that was his hustle, and. Uh, so that was what he was known for. And uh, he also worked in the uh, factory, the Unicor, and stuff like that. But anyway, he uh, walked really feminine, talked really feminine, the whole nine yards, you know. So, um, and there really, there wasn't really any of those guys for a long time on that compound. It was later on. But anyway, that's a whole different story. Mm-hmm. But they, uh, so one day there was a guy that uh you know i don't want to say his name he was a large fella uh viking is what you would think of we'll name name him thundar thundar that's that's, uh, so thundar was uh he was out there on the white pile and apple bottom was out there and apple bottom was laying on his uh bench and he was pushing up his little you know, 25s on the bar or whatever, doing his little workout and stuff. So Thundar comes up to him and tells him, now Thundar has a big old long beard coming off of his chin and it's braided down, you know, and he's got long hair down to his ass. He's probably, ah, probably about 6'4", and probably an easy 275 ripped up muscle monster. Thundar. And, uh, you know, tattooed head to toe and just a really tough looking guy. And, uh, so he, uh, he comes up to Apple bottom and he tells him, he says, uh, I am going to need that bench and Apple bottom, you know, and his feminine accents like, 
oh, okay, well, as soon as I get done, you can have it. <laughs> and so, and Thundar decides he's, I guess he gets embarrassed. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, lets his mouth get away from him. And he, he tells him, no, you're going to get off that bench. And I can't remember the exact wording that he said, but it was something along those lines, you know, with a, an aggressive tone. And Applebottom leans up on that bench, sets his, sets the bar down, sets up on the end of the bench, and smiling just like he had been and always was, and uh, still looking just as feminine as could be. But then in like less than a second, he had that long chin beard wrapped in his hand and was beating that guy in the face with his mini face punches as I've ever seen anybody take. And I mean, fast, just da, 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 da. <laughs> like a machine gun. Wow. And he, he wore him out standing up there on his standing on the bench, holding him by the chin hairs. And, uh, and Applebottom was a small guy. He was, you know, maybe, maybe five, two, five, three. And, and just wore this guy out. And I mean, wore him out good and beat him till, he beat him till the chin hairs were in his hand and his head was down on the ground, you know. Uh, that was a terrible scene, but at the same time, very humorous. And uh, he gets up. And soon as he, soon as he beats him down and knocks him completely out and sets him on the ground, well, <clears throat> I think he laid back down and did another set. Yeah, yeah, he laid back down on that bench, did another set, then stood up, walked off from there like a, like he was little Miss Susie again. I mean, it was, it was quite the sight. Well, up to that point, uh, Thundar had all the, all the respect. You know, everybody just kind of walked around him and stood back away from him. And when he spoke, boy, people listened. And after that, you know, he couldn't even stand in line without somebody just pushing him to the side to get past him. And wow. I mean, lost, he lost all respect right there. All credibility. All, all, yeah. I mean, just no more respect for that guy, even though he had, you know, beaten whooped, uh, I don't know how many people, you know, but it didn't really matter at that point. No, no. Forget the fact that Applebottom was a grade a boxer, you know, <laughs> fantastic fighter and but. basically he was raised by the system too so everything he did he learned from being you know spend all this adult life there most definitely and so these guys when people go in they think oh well you know um the chip on the shoulder thing that's that's what i'm going to talk about and so you go in with the chip on your shoulder and you think oh well this guy's got nothing coming for me and and this and that. And one of the first things you'll learn is that you can't look at another man and tell what he has coming. You can't, you can't judge how another man's going to react in a situation of violence. And you don't have any idea what his skills are until you do. And so, uh, fighting a, a homosexual of any sort in there is a bad idea. Um, the, the thing is, is should you beat them? And I mean an overtly homosexual, and there's very few of them that are overtly homosexual that are that far out there with it. And uh, but some are, 
and the ones that are are very secure in it and there's a reason for that and so the problem is is that it, should you win in the fight or beat the person down then you get no points for that nobody cares you know you're not i don't care how good a fighter he was if he's overtly homosexual and you whoop him you get no points for that 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 doesn't matter to anybody at all but should you get whooped by him then you all your points are taken away you're you've lost all respect and from what i saw lots of the time you're going to get whooped by them because lots of the time they're really extremely good fighters there's a question in chat um they're asking if uh making your pants droop and showing your underwear is a code for something if it's code for being available or what okay so that's that's a that's something that people say and um uh the way i understand where that come from because that was a big deal to us we and by us i just mean kind of all the guys that i hung out around we we kind of looked at that as god why would hell would you do that and it really doesn't make sense to do in a a prison situation make it harder to fight makes it real hard to fight you can't get away you you need to be able to get away in a in a in lots of prison fights you need to be able to to get away you don't want anything restricting your ability to move out of the situation and best you can and uh and that that is one of the best ways to slow you down and it definitely slows down your fighting ability and so you won't see you won't see your uh you won't see your fighters walking oh, around so you know like the that. person that wears out is soft pretty much i mean but the thing is is this has become a fashion style and where it come from was supposedly was in california the inmates there weren't given a belt and um but they were given pants and so these pants would drag down on them and stuff and they looked at it as terrible when they go out to visit their families and so their kids would uh purposefully sag their pants down low and come in to visit to show respect to their dad or whatever you know show him that uh, there's not anything disrespectful about this or whatever uh, daddy sag but, I mean, but i mean it's ridiculous um we got and time uh, for one more question. Fashion. One more question here, and uh, and there's probably a lot of answer you have for it. Somebody's asking. And, and just on that fashion, I'm going to say this too because I really hope that this helps some people. Um, fashion is not something that you need to be concerned with. Like like you don't want to be the best dressed and the shiniest shoes guy in there. I mean that's that's not your goal. Your goal isn't to be the most fashionable khaki-wearing inmate. If it is your goal, then I, I promise you're going to attract the wrong kind of attention. There's a good story to that one. We might have to do another time for sure once we yeah. figure out how to delicately do it. Yeah, I'll have to figure out a delicate way for that one. But that's a definite lesson that can be learned. So they're asking, did your prison allow animals? Okay, so uh, I've got a great story that goes with that. Um in the prison I was in, they had cats, and they cats took care of the rats, and that was fantastic. And so you had Cuban inmates in there. How much time do I have, Drew? Uh, you have enough for this one last story. Okay. So the there were Cuban nationals that were locked up in the federal pen that come from Florida, and uh, 
they gotten picked up for it doesn't matter what they automatically go to the federal pen and so they go to the federal pen and then they cannot be released and this is important for people to understand because this is this is ridiculous and complete injustice but I, i'm not sure if this has been changed but it should have definitely been changed because it's horrible but they would get picked up for the most benign things these cuban nationals and and then they go straight to the federal pen and then there's no release they cannot release them to their country because uh you know whatever it's it's somehow more communist than this one you know the it, it I, I don't know what the politics are exactly on it but they're stupid i can tell you that because they can't be released to their own country and they can't be released here so so what happens is is a person comes from cuba seeking a better life and they get into some type of bind a trouble of some sort and it might be something very benign something very small for anyone else and now they're locked up for the rest of their life and uh that's that's a whole lot of your unicorn workers our Cuban nationals that badass workers. I mean, they, they really put in the hours, but, uh, so there's this big Cuban guy and he loves these cats. He's become attached to them. And he's been in here a long time, like decades of time. And so he's raised generations of these cats in the same prison. He's been in the same prison for all of this time. Uh, real good inmate doesn't speak English very much at all you know and uh doesn't care to uh and he's from cuba but he's 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 a big guy he's a big uh a large black man and uh so like i said he's got these cats and he's got each one of them named and loves on those cats and feeds those cats from what we get out of the commissary and stuff like that and they've just really become his pets. And so we get these um, Vietnamese inmates, several of them. And <clears throat> we have a, a bunch of these Vietnamese inmates. And uh, I, I think about probably about seven or eight of them, maybe total. And uh, they're all staying in the same building. And so they're cooking up big fried rice uh, spreads is what they call them in there. They, they just do these big spreads. They don't go to the kitchen and eat. They just eat it at the cell block. So they buy the rice on the commissary and stuff or get stuff smuggled out of the kitchen and whatnot. And they cook it up in a microwave. I had microwaves at the time. And they cut off a five-gallon bucket kind of interesting they cut a five gallon bucket make a big platter out of it and then they would take a trash bag put the rice down in the trash bag pour water in there set it in the microwave and they'd actually steam the rice in the microwave like that so it was kind of cool but anyway so here we go everything's fine as far as we know well uh the cuban we call cuba of course everybody calls him cuba and Cuba is uh, kind of frantic about some of his cats are gone, have gone missing. And he's upset and making it well known that he's upset and looking for his cats. And 
he's like talking to the warden and different people about it and stuff, you know, trying to figure out what's going on, what happened to his cats. And can we locate them and whatnot? So this goes on for a couple of weeks until it gets down to there's, there's not really a lot of cats all of a sudden outside of the building there. And <laughs> so, you know, a few guys have said, ah, it's probably those, Asian people cooking them up, you know, and <clears throat> anyway, make a long, long story short, that is exactly what was happening. <laughs> so these Vietnamese guys were killing these cats and making their spread with these cats, and Cuban finds out about it and went on a murder rampage on these guys, and I mean, the guy has nothing to lose. He's doing the rest of his life there has done most of it in there and so he was real attached to those cats so after that no there wasn't any animals allowed after that other than birds the birds were they poisoned out all the birds we had a guy the uh, colonel there he uh he had birds like you can't imagine he had raised up hundreds and hundreds of birds in his 35 years and so they stayed around the compound, made big giant swirls in the air, starlings and dove and uh, pigeons. And I mean, everywhere the guy would go, he'd just, he'd walk out of a building somewhere and these birds would just slot down to him. And it was a pretty amazing thing to watch. And uh, uh, anyway, they poisoned them out after the, after Cuba got even for those boys eating his cat. So that was, that was the end of the pets there. So that, closing, was the end of, that was the end of the pets. In closing, could you tell us what you think could be done to actually reform the prison system? And do you think things have changed and that actually needs to be reformed? Okay. So yes, the prison system needs to be completely thrown out and revamped. And yes, I definitely have a hundred different ideas on how it could be made better. And, uh, but the, the one thing that I will say that I believe firmly that we should be doing with uh, people, if we're going to lock them up away from their families, um, if that's going to be the, the consensus on, oh, that's the right thing to do. And I can tell you that me and everyone else that's laid in one of those places have thought, why didn't they just cut my head off? I mean, why? You know, why would you do this to someone? And it, it puts a real strain on the person as far as uh, social uh, function. It takes a lot to be able to to look at normal society or people that think that this thing is okay and and think, well, they're okay. But what you have to realize is that people don't, they're not comprehending the damage that's being done by this um, docile confinement is what I call it. And it's completely wrong. And I think that what needs to be done is um, uh, people say, oh, well, it'd be horrible to lock you up and force you to labor. That's exactly wrong. That The thing that would be the best that you could do is to lock people up and force them to labor. Because labor will heal a man. And labor will give them something to strive for and labor gives them something to work at. The worst thing you can do is lock a man up and make him sit 
hours and hours and crawl up in his head and stay in his head or get on that television and be manipulated by that force behind all of that. Um, the force of what, docility. It, it, it is. It's the, it's the force of docility. It's the, it's the horribleness of it's enforced laziness is what it is. And laziness is the most detrimental thing that we have in our society to the development of man, in my opinion. And I think that what we need to do is we need to move towards a labor. And I don't mean labor like, uh, like breaking rocks. Yeah. Well, I mean, breaking rocks would be okay, but we already have stuff to break rocks. Um, but maybe maybe labor to run equipment to break rocks, labor to do things. Skilled that, labor, well, where you learn a skill. Skilled labor, where Hard people labor are learns. learning skills. So, like, um, what does the government hard. take care of? Not much. And so, what you can say is, is what are what? Why is all of this tax dollars, this massive amount of tax dollars? Why is it costing so much to keep up with infrastructure when we have a huge, massive workforce? that are just dying for something to do. And I mean, literally dying inside for something to do and need to learn skills and they need to learn labor because they can be hired as labor when they're released. And, uh, they can also overcome drug addiction. You can overcome, uh, uh, many psychosis just by laboring all day long. So breaking rocks, swinging the sledgehammer, uh, that, that's great with me except that we have equipment for that. So teaching them to run the equipment is a great idea. Having huge work forces to go out and um, with the money that they spend, $27,000 a year on each one of these inmates that we spend to house these people for no reason whatsoever, for them not to do anything that accomplishes anything for us, it just doesn't make any sense. It's stealing from us is what it's doing. And it's stealing from society and it's stealing from them as well. Whereas you can put them on bridges, um, rebuilding bridges all of the time. You've eliminated this high cost of the uh, uh, construction companies that uh, build a, you know, bid so high on these government jobs and, and projects and take the money. And, and, and there's no need in that. When we have the workforces, not only that, we have engineers locked up. We have master welders locked up. We have uh, technicians of every sort locked up all over the country. And it, it's absolutely ridiculous, in my opinion. What we need to do is we need to get it geared towards actually making something. Now, they do that a little bit, but it's a for-profit deal, and it's for a massive profit with almost no gain to the inmate. They're all jobs that just create more docility a few places um, do some things with uh like i was telling you uh they'll build law enforcement equipment like cages for the um uh, cars and and uh you know uh ah, what do you call them little paddy wagons um but for the most part the jobs are like building clothing for the military and stuff like that where you've got men sitting in a type of work that's really not made for men and um, where they're sitting and sewing all day long. Um, that's, that's really not helping things. And they're doing it for 25 cents an hour. It's just a slave labor type of thing. And uh, whereas if you're going to do that and 
and just have that and that's offered there you know and you can make up to 30 cents an hour but you you start out at like 13 cents an hour and uh like i say there's no good to that the the good would be in taking a person and working and so since you can do that since you're not going to uh everybody's already agreed that there's not going to be really any medical care for these people because, I mean, although they say that there is, it's few and far between and only at random circumstance does someone get any medical attention whatsoever. I watched a 27-year-old die of a heart attack with four board-certified doctors standing around him begging the guards to get him out to a hospital. He's having a heart attack. And I, I watched him lay in there for two hours after he died before they ever cleared the ambulance to come in of course they wrote it up in the paper as he died on the way to the hospital so Lordy. and this happens every single day so there's no so it's not a question of morality on oh well you know think of all the uh people that would get worn out or have to go to the hospital or something you're not sending them to the hospital anyway just send them to work Put them out on work crews where they can learn, where they can thrive, survive. Speaking about work crews, have you heard about Angola prison in Louisiana? Yes, I was, uh, I was locked up with, uh, an inmate that had spent 30 years there. Okay. So here's my question about it. And I believe you were incarcerated at this time during hurricane Katrina. Yeah. I got reports and I hadn't been able to verify it because some information had been erased. But that's a maximum security prison. It's been um, the longest. It's the longest functioning plantation in America since it. Yeah. And they get all their food from there, and they have the inmates work there. High security prison. Most are in there for murder, or worse, or you know, murdering several people. During the Hurricane Katrina, it all started flooding, and they had the inmates in there. I heard a lot of them died, and a lot of them were shot by guards. Did you hear anything about that? Yeah, I've heard lots of stuff about that. Um, uh, place like i say i was in there with an inmate i don't want to say his name mm-hmm. he's back in prison he's going to spend the rest of his life in prison he's part of the dixie mafia he oh okay. um, he's a rough guy but <clears throat> um he had to go do a bunch of fed time after his time in angola and like i say he did 30 years over there and oh. uh so it's a rough place it's rough enough that this particular guy he only had a big toe on each foot and so, of course, I wanted to know the story. He also had a tattoo of, on his back of uh, an inverted cross with uh, Jesus hanging on it with a, de- a dragon coming up around it, oh, raping Lordy. Jesus. Oh, and uh, and that was his uh, his tattoo that covered his entire back. And he, he wore a skullet. I don't know if you know what that is, but he oh, just yeah. had a little patch of hair like a Hare Krishna, but short uh on the back of his he's a rough guy but anyway i had to get the story he was a funny guy too but i had to get the story on on the toes and so he told it to me and so what happened was is he gets in there and they wanted him to work those fields all the time right so he's like i'm not working those fields <laughs> he said that work could kill you <laughs> yeah so, anyway, so so work didn't work for him right well, just because he wouldn't, he, he just absolutely refused. And so what he did was he cut off one of his toes Oh man! and he goes to the infirmary and takes his toe with him and tells him, Hey, uh, I messed up and cut off one of my toes. Um, 
and he, he had to cut it off with a anyway it's, it's pretty rough but he, he beat the toe off basically with a a blade and a, a rock and went into the infirmary and told him hey i cut my toe off and they were like oh that's no problem they sewed his toe back on and told him you can be out back at work tomorrow it's just a toe and so wow and so when they sent him back to the unit he goes back up to the unit and he finds a uh uh i guess they had metal plates that people had kept and he had and they had made blades out of and he took one of those and he took a weight from the weight room and he beat and cut his toes off of both of his feet took them and smashed them up in a sock and then flushed them down the toilet <laughs> wow and then it's a back lot of work that, not to go to work to not go to work and if he so, would do I that mean, to himself what would he do to somebody else oh yeah so so i mean they they let him out um, from the prison. Now he had did 30 in Angola and then did 10 in the fed and worked his way down to a medium security prison and then was released. And he never even made it out of the halfway house before him. And this guy's 60 years old at this point, you know, and him and another, uh, guy at the halfway house, uh, robbed, uh, uh, what do you call those confiscation facilities over there? And, Louisiana. I don't know. Ah, I can't remember what it's called, but it's a, I think it's a parish something or other. Anyway, they, they robbed the, the, where they hid the drugs. <laughs> where the cops oh, 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 I know what you're talking drugs, about. Yeah. Hid the drugs. And so anyway, they robbed it and, and then got picked up and put back in for, I think another 60 years or something. But anyway, that's the extremes that some men will go to, to, to get out of, um, work yeah like labored itself crippled hobbled itself and uh forced itself to a lifetime of you know he did that one in his early 20s <laughs> so here he was at 60 years old he's got a big toe on each side and that's it i bet it was a massive big toe it was hard to wear flip-flops oh yeah <laughs> he'd do it though and i'd, I'd just laugh i like to I thank you i'd like to thank you for being here with us tonight uh Oh yeah. Had fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's Christmas. I hope those stories help somebody, you know, uh, the point I want to get across to people is it's, if you got to go to a federal prison or any prison for that matter for something, then, uh, it's the time before you go to prison that will, that will stress you to death and, and worry you, but just, you can do it. Just use your head and use it for a time to uh, uh, revitalize yourself and to get yourself on the right direction. And, and no matter what, set your mentality right. It's not going to be anything like you expect. And no amount of television shows or even radio interviews from guys like me or anything else is going to prepare you for your exact situation. Boredom's the worst thing you'll face. Thank you very much. You and your family have a good Christmas, okay? Okay, y'all too, Jerry. Try to stay warm. I'll do it.
I'd like to thank you all for being here today. This might not be what you expected. I don't know if it's what you deserved or not, but I appreciate you coming here to the Christmas special. Where we learn, we actually hang out and actually learn some valuable information here at Midnight Radio. We'll be gone for the next two days. The 24th, 25th, I'll be spending it with my family. After that, I'll be back on the 26th. And I believe it'll be the morning of the 20th. Yep, the morning of the 26th, 5 a.m., bright and early. I appreciate you guys. I'd like to thank our executive producers for this show and those we have executive producers lined up for our next show. But the ones for this show were the real T.D. McCoy, Lady Patty Nilsson. I want to thank you guys very much. And all you guys that are producers that have helped us, I appreciate that. You're a producer, and you give us value by your voicemails. You give us value give us value by hitting that like button appreciate appreciate it if you subscribe and you hit that bell and hit all notifications that's your porthole to us that's your radio where we can broadcast things to you to let you know when you can join in the conversation we'll be going back to our regular regular scheduled program on the 26th and until then i got a voicemail that i'm gonna play from april This is for you, Jerry, and all you midnighters out there. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Yuletide carols being sung by a choir. And folks dressed up like Eskimos. Everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe help to make the season bright. Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow will find it hard to sleep tonight. They know that Santa's on his way. He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh. And every mother's child is going to spy to see if reindeers really know how to fly. And so I'm offering you this simple phrase to kids from 1 to 92. Although it's been said many times, many ways. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas to you. Ho, ho, ho. That was awesome. That was April, everybody. That's another way you can bring value to us and help us in producing this show. You can sing a song if you want to. That was awesome. I love her singing. That is great. I really, really, really like that, and I mean that. Thank you, guys. We're having a, a special, another special coming up. This one's not going to be about prison. This is the I Hate Jerry New Year's Eve special. So for you guys that hate me, and I know there's some of you there watching right now because you're not hitting that thumbs up even though you're watching, call that number, 325-261-0892. It's time for you to be heard. Tell me why you hate the show. Tell me about it. 
tell me about myself. I'm not going to yell at you back, but I just want to listen to these on New Year's with my friends. We might have some laughs, but I'm not going to be mean back to you. Appreciate you guys. Going to be back on the 26th, 5 a.m. Until then. Until then, all my best. Have a Merry Christmas, guys.